How's everybody doing out there? You guys okay? All right. Just so you know, uh, a little bit later, after I'm done, we're going to uh, receive an offering. And if you uh, brought or filled out one of those cards, we'd love for you to put that in there. Uh, and there will be some buckets that either say Mike's Hard Lemonade or Bud Light. That will be coming around. And uh, that's when you'll know that we're taking the offering, when you see the Bud Light buckets, all right? Um, <laughs> we, uh, we don't take ourselves very seriously. We take Jesus pretty seriously. Check, check. All right, my name is Mike. I'm going to be here all week. Welcome to the Joke Joint Comedy Club. I was walking down the street the other day, and I uh, saw this guy, and he was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm just kidding. Open mic night is Sunday nights. Sunday nights, you can come back for open mic at the Joke Joint. This is not it. Um, but seriously, I, I just want to start by saying thank you. I know that there are a lot of you in this room who have been a part of making Awaken possible and have, uh, who have either heard God calling your name uh, to be a part of this community, uh, either affirmed me in some of the things that I have been wrestling through with, do we do this, do we not, Does, is God inviting us into this space? Uh, and so there are many of you here this morning who have been a part of that process, uh, whether they be family members or friends. And I just want to begin uh, by saying thank you. Uh, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, this is a, a huge day in the life, in the history of Awaken. It's important because, of course, we'll never have another first public worship gathering. So this is big. It's a, it's a holy moment. It's a sacred moment. And yet, at the same time, there's this bizarre dichotomy between this is really, really important, and this is, this is epic, and yet this is a blip on the radar screen because what we're doing here this morning actually isn't church. Uh, you are the church. I, we are the church together as people. And so this, what we're doing is really, really important. We gather and we respond to what God has revealed to us about himself. And yet this isn't actually church. We could, we could do this and this not be church because people are church. And so when we gather here in this place and we respond to God, it becomes a church that meets in this place. It's a gathering of sorts. When we meet in the park and we serve people and we rake their leaves or we say, Jesus loves you, that's church. So this is really important and it's, it's epic, like I said, and yet at the same time, it's just a part of what we do. Uh, and so with that in mind, as we thought about this morning and what might we talk about, what might, what might we discuss, what might we uh, put out there as far as this time of our, our morning, uh, I want to offer a way forward. I want to offer in the next three preview services. So if you come back, uh, there, it, sort of as we plant this church, there will be three of these which are sort of uh, practice events. So if we were to just kind of put one on the calendar and say, if we were going to meet weekly, what might it look like? So this is us kind of working out some of the kinks, and we'll work on that microphone before you come back next time. Don't worry, I promise. Um, but this is one of three preview services, and so October 3rd, November 7th, and I think it's December 9th will be three previews, and then when we, uh, uh, on Christmas Eve, will kind of be our official launch to when we will sit, we'll meet, get, meet weekly and have uh, this kind of a gathering every week. Um, but in these next three preview services, I wanted to unpack a phrase that if you've been around us or if you've seen any of the literature that we've put out there, you will have seen before and you have heard this, this, these, these words, and it's this. Waking up to God's dream for the world. Uh, waking up to God's dream for the world. So let me, let me begin by uh, maybe just sharing a story with you. Um, when I was a kid, uh, many of you know, and actually a lot of my family members are here this morning, but I grew up with four brothers. And so uh, it was total chaos and mayhem and pandelirium all the time. My mom can attest. She's here this morning. Uh, we broke nearly every window in the house. Uh, we did all the things that boys would do to the nth degree. Uh, but one of the things that I remember as a kid, one of my most 
fond childhood memories. Uh, my dad was a fisherman. And so when we, uh, there are pictures of us, mostly me, standing out on the end of a dock at Lake Beltane, Nevis, Minnesota, in my diapers. And then when I, you know, moved on from diapers at about 12. I'll be here all week, everybody. Thanks for coming. Uh, when I moved out of diapers, you know, I'm standing out there in my underwear at the end of the dock with my, my Snoopy fishing pole catching sunnies. So fishing became a part of our lives as, as kids and as boys. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I can hear the creak of my dad coming up the stairs at 1057 Van Buren. And I remember sleeping in bunk beds with my brothers. And, and as the creak got closer to the top of the stairs, my dad would come. And he would, he would kneel down at the side of our bed, and he would whisper, and he would kind of wrestle me awake, and he would say, wake up. It's time to go. And of course, as a kid, I, I was so excited. I wasn't sleeping, you know. But to have, to have my dad come up and say, wake up, it's time to go, and, and then to go with our Coke and Twinkies and peanut butter and jelly and to go fishing, one of my most fond childhood memories. Uh, and this idea of waking up, uh, a lot of us have different thoughts about that. Some of us love it. Uh, you're morning people. You love to wake up. And to this day, I'm still a morning person. Morning is my prime time. So uh, I usually am up pretty early, and by about 10 o'clock, I'm sort of petering out, and I'm no good for the rest of the day. So if I meet you sometime at like 2, I'm really sorry if I'm a little out of it. Some of you, on the other hand, you hate mornings. You, like you go to sleep, and you dread waking up in the next morning. So we have all kinds of feelings about this idea of waking up. And yet, this morning I want to ask some questions related to this idea of waking up. Questions that will help us understand why awaken? Why this church? Why here? Who are you and what are you trying to do and be about? One of my favorite books of all time is a book called The Story We Find Ourselves In, and it has shaped uh, me in a, in a very significant way, and it sort of sent me the, this, this book series, which this, this title is a part of, kind of began a journey for me that I'm really grateful for. But it asks this question of what is the story that we find ourselves in? What exactly is going on here on a very grand level, on a big scale? What is it that's going on in, in, and how do I relate to the world and God and everything in it? And it's this question of what is the story that we find ourselves in? And the scriptures, of course, are an account. Uh, they're one of the means by, one of the means by which God reveals God's self to us. So the Bible is one of the ways in which God has revealed himself to us. And in the scriptures, they tell this story, uh, and, and, I, and I would argue, I would submit that they also offer an answer to the question, what is the story that we find ourselves in? How do we make sense of all of this that we see around us and the people and the things that happen in this world and the way things go down? How do we make sense of that? And I would submit to you that the scriptures offer an answer to the question, what is this story that we find ourselves in? Uh, in? In Scripture, there's no shortage of metaphors for this idea. Like, you know, the, the big question that philosophers have always talked about for, for eons and eons, what's the meaning of life and what is this story? There's no shortage of metaphors in the Scripture about this idea and placing us in the midst of it and trying to make sense of it. But one of the primary ones that we find in Scripture is this idea of sleeping and becoming awake. And so, if you would turn to chapter 5 of Ephesians in your, in your Bibles, chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, this is Paul, and he's writing to a church in Ephesus. 
Uh, did no one bring a Bible? We have like one page turner here. You can bring your Bibles to this in case you're wondering. We'll, we'll actually use them. And there we go. We've got a couple back there. Well done. Uh, and for the rest of you, please don't feel guilty. That's not what I'm doing here. But you, I would love for you to bring your Bibles if you, if you have one. Um, but Ephesians chapter 5, this is Paul the Apostle, and he's talking to a church in Ephesus, and he's trying to encourage them and talk to them about what does it mean to be the people of God, and how does it look in Ephesus for you, and how can I encourage you and challenge you? In the beginning of chapter 5, he uses this analogy of light and darkness, and he talks about being people of the light as those who, are, who have said yes to Christ, being people who are of the light and having come from darkness. And then in chapter, uh, verse 14 of chapter five, he says this, he says, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So Paul in his, his speaking to the Ephesians says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Flip over to uh, Romans chapter 13 if you want to. Uh, The first thing I want to say to you this morning on this whole topic of waking up is this. We must wake up. Now, if I say that, I actually presuppose or I assume that we're sleeping in some way. And I'm not talking about, and I hope that by the end of this, none of you are actually physically sleeping. But what I mean is that in some way, humanity, like the people in the world, that there's this idea, there's this, there's this metaphor that works that we are, as a whole, sleeping. And so when I say we must wake up, it assumes or presumes the fact that we're sleeping and we actually have to wake up. Look at verse uh, 11 of chapter 13. This is Paul again, and he continues this metaphor, he uses it again and again. He says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So in these, two, in these two particular places, and you can find a whole bunch of other ones if you go back to Isaiah and the prophets, they talk about it, but I just highlighted two for you. Paul starts with the fundamental assumption that, in fact, we are sleeping, that humanity and creation, he would argue, if you look at Romans chapter 8, that we and creation are sleeping. There's this, there's this slumber that we have been subjected to or that we're participating in, and that in some way we're sleeping and need to wake up. Now, this may be review for some of you, um, but it's absolutely critical that we start here. Because uh, if we're starting a church and we're beginning you know, the life of this community, it's important that we lay some, uh, some groundwork this morning as to exactly what we believe about God and the world and about humanity. And so this morning we're talking about waking up and we're primarily dealing with you and me and how we relate in the world. So it's important that we start at the beginning. And the scriptures, and therefore awaken, believe that there is a particular understanding of the story that we find ourselves in. There is a particular way to understand and make sense of what is going on in this world and who God is and who we are and how we relate to each other. So the scriptures talk of a very specific way of understanding the story we find ourselves in, and we would therefore adopt that idea. And I want to just break it down for you. It's pretty simple. And again, this may be review for some of you, but it's really important. I would sort of five headings, if you will. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, the church, and actually six kingdom come or the kingdom to come. So back up from the beginning creation, the scriptures teach of this idea that there is a God and there was a, there is a God who created out of nothing that when God spoke, the world became into being everything that we see around us, you, me, the stars, the planets, the trees, everything. And he said it was good. 
That's creation. And out of that, in Genesis chapter 3, there's this story about Adam and Eve, and many of you have heard it. Uh, Eve takes the apple and eats of it, the one that God told her not to. And this thing called sin enters the world, which is the means by which we become alienated from the God who made us, the people around us, and the world that we live in. If you think about the world we live in and the story we find ourselves in in a primary relational level or in a relational way, what happens at Genesis 3, what happens in the garden is that the relationship between the God who made us and us is broken. The relationships between us and one another are broken. And the relationship between us and the world that we live in is broken. Why? Because we chose to go our own way. Because we chose to to do something and and to live a certain way that was outside of the boundary of the way God made us to live. In every aspect of it, you can insert any aspect of humanity into that, and I would argue that you could, you could sum it up in that fashion. So creation and fall. Then God, in Genesis chapter 12, decides to, out of this one group of people, begin to reveal himself and begin to call back anyone who would want relationship with him in and through the people of Israel in chapter 12 of Genesis. Of course, we know if you follow the Old Testament, as Israel moves out or moves through the Old Testament, they fail at the job they were given, and Jesus comes and takes Israel's place, takes Israel's role, their job, their vocation on himself, and says, I will be the perfect Israel, the true Israel, and the means by which we become relationally connected with God. This is why Jesus can say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, and now the church. And this, (laughs) this is what gets me so excited. The gospel of Jesus, the, the, the scriptures, when people talk about the gospel, it's typically just an invitation to believe in Jesus so that I get to go to heaven when I die. And I would submit to you this morning that that is so far Um, uh, it's reduced into like the smallest portion of it. It's not that that's not true, but there's so much more to the invitation of God that he gives. And it's through this group of people, you and me, as we gather in the name of Jesus, we're called the what? The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones in the world. And it's through this bizarro group of people in the world that God is now continuing to say, wake up. Wake up to the world, to humanity. And we become the means by which God works in the world and says, come back, wake up. It's fantastic. And we look forward to, we anticipate. When we say yes to Christ, Paul says that there's a new creation born. There's something new that happens in us. And it is the first fruit. It's the down payment of what we anticipate, which is the world as God intended it to be. It's, it's, it's Narnia after, uh, what's her face, the, the witch of the north is defeated. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's Middle Earth after Frodo throws the ring in. It's all, of the, it's all of the great stories, all of the epic stories that are told. They're tapping into the one story that's actually true about the world. And it's this one. That there is a kingdom coming that we get to participate in, in Christ. So that's a little bit of review, but it's really, really important. And so Paul talks about this idea of waking up, and this is what he's getting at. He's offering an understanding of the story that we find ourselves in. Turn to John chapter 11, to your left, if you will. I want to just highlight a, a, one particular piece to this story that's r- super important for us. There's a guy named Lazarus. He's Jesus, one of Jesus' best friends. Uh, scholars would argue that he may have even been related to Jesus in some way. Lazarus dies. 
And Jesus goes to Lazarus' grave, and you know, everyone around is like, why didn't you come earlier? You could have saved him, and so on and so forth. But look at chapter uh, 11, verse 11. I want you to see what Jesus says. After this, he had said, uh, he went to them. He went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Fundamental, critical, foundational to what it means to be awakened, to this thing that we call awaken, is the understanding, the belief and the conviction that it is Jesus who first says, wake up to us. That it is the work of Jesus on the cross through his death and in his resurrection that it's he and only he who first says, wake up. So if you wonder about awaken and what is awaken and what is this idea, what are you guys trying to do? One of the things that you have to understand is that we believe with the utmost conviction and clarity that it's Jesus who first says to us, wake up. And that that is where the beginning of this new story starts. That is the beginning of this new story and that it's Jesus who says that to us. So first, I would say we have to wake up. Secondly, I would say we must continue waking up, which is kind of bizarre, right? If you think about waking up, it's this moment that happens. Like you're sleeping, and then your dad comes up and says, wake up, and you open your eyes, and you're like cognizant. At least some of you take a little longer than others. We all know who you are. Um, But it's a moment, right? It happens, and then you wake up, and then you're awake. But I would submit that waking up is all at once This moment that happens when we wake up to the fact that Jesus is calling us, that that Jesus has done what he did, and it's a moment that continues to happen, that we continue to wake up. Uh, My daughter, Hadley, she's uh, six, almost seven. Last year, she started at a school over in Richfield, this uh, dual language school, and uh, it was all-day kindergarten, and... uh, she started at, I dropped her off at 7.30, which I thought was a little cruel, you know? I mean, seriously, 7.30 for a kindergartner? Well, come on, let's be honest. So uh, last year, was, uh, it was, there was a lot going on, transition and craziness and new, and, and, and then whole new language on top of it. And so, you know, Hadley took a while sometimes in the mornings to wake up, and I would go in there, I would shower and get ready and eat some cereal, and then I would go in, and I would turn on all the lights and hit the radio and say, wake up, baby! No, I wouldn't do that. I didn't do that because I would be a bad father if I did that and a jerk. But I went in there and I nestled up next to her and I scratched her back and I said, honey, wake up. And she would kind of like roll over and she'd see it was me and figure out what was going on. And she'd pull the covers over her head at six. I can't wait till 13. Uh, And so then I would go out of the room. But what would I do? I would come back over and over and over again, and I would say, honey, wake up. It's time to go. Wake up. It's time to go. Wake up. School. Wake up. You need to eat your breakfast. Sometimes four, five, six times I would go, and I would wake her up again and again and again. I want to look again at the story of Lazarus because there's an interesting phrase right at the end of the story. Jesus says two things at the end of the story. He says one to Lazarus, and he says one to his friends. At the end of the story for Lazarus, he says... Uh, in verse like, uh, oh, let's see where it is. Well, it's at the end. Oh, verse 43, he says, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. So Lazarus like wakes up. He's dead and now he's alive. He comes out. But then at the end of the story, he says this fascinating thing to his friends. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus is awake, he's walking, he's alive, he's seeing things. But is there 
a sense in which Lazarus still carries with him the grave clothes that mark him as dead. The grave clothes that mark him as someone who is in, asleep, in slumber. And I think that it's possible that we can become awakened to the voice of Jesus who's calling our names, who's saying, wake up. That we can become awake to that fact and yet still carry some of the grave clothes or the bed clothes, if you will, the PJs, the slippers, whatever. And maybe for some of you, it's not much, but this is church. I mean, seriously, it's not a comedy club. Uh, is there is there a sense in which we wake up and yet we still bear the marks of someone who's still asleep? And I want to just submit to you this morning that one of the most compelling and beautiful things that the church has to offer is this is that we we offer ourselves to one another and remind the other that we are continually waking up. That there are things in our lives that maybe we're asleep to the way it should be. And as the church, we gather together and we gather around a table, which is why we didn't get rid of the tables here this morning. It's a little cramped, but there's a reason for it. We gather around a table and we see people's faces and we behold them and we know them and we say and we whisper to one another, wake up. Wake up to the way in which you're relating in your relationship with your spouse. Because you're still acting like a dead person. You're still acting like someone who's asleep because that's not the way it should be. Wake up to the way you relate to other people. Wake up to the way you speak about others. Wake up to the way you fill in the blank. I want you to hear this about this community because it's really important. Oftentimes the church is this place where it looks like a triangle where there's some person who's at the top who everybody looks to for all of the answers and maybe they're funny and maybe they're a good communicator and maybe an empire is built on their back. And I refuse to allow that to happen in this community because this community and this church is not about me. It's about Jesus and it's about us. You see, in the New Testament, something changes radically in the way in which God's people are ordered. In the Old Testament, it was very hierarchical. It was looked like a triangle. Everybody had to go through the priest and through the temple and through the sacrificial system. But in the New Testament, when Jesus dies on the cross, he actually, and because they have to come back here and set, play all this, I won't knock it all over, but he takes it all and he just smashes it to pieces and he flattens the ground and he says, you all actually now are a priesthood of believers, which means, which is to say that no one of us is any better than or more special than or more in connection to or the means by which we access God. Jesus, Hebrews says, is the mediator between us and the Father. And so as we talk about awaken, it's imperative that you understand that this community is one where we gather around a table and there are people who will say to me, who actually said it this last week, Micah, wake up. And I will say to them, and you will say to one another, wake up. Because this is what we're called to. Because this is the life that Jesus offers us. Because this is what it looks like to live in relationship with God and each other in the world we live in. And so we want to be the kind of church that is forever, always and ever, waking up. None of us have arrived. Not the people on the stage, not the people with the microphones, not the people with the salaries, not the people who do the work. None of us have arrived. We are all on a journey together. And we're after the same thing, and that's knowing Jesus. 
So we have to wake up. We must continue to wake up. And I would submit last and finally that we, we want to be the kind of church that helps others wake up. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would. 2 Corinthians 2, again, this is Paul. And he's talking to a church in Corinth, which is a crazy city. Uh, lots going on there. He says he uses, this is another one of the metaphors that Paul uses, and it's fantastic. In chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And so Paul says to the church, you, church, ecclesia, called out ones, you become the aroma, the fragrance, the smell of Jesus in the world as you live out your awakening. I bought my wife some flowers the other day. You guys know those, uh, what are those? They're lilies. Do you know what kind? Stargazer lilies? Is that what they are? The big red ones? Oh my gosh. They, they, there's, I sit at my breakfast table, my, my dining room table, and I've watched these flowers. And, you know, they're all, they're all coned up. And, you know, and then all of a sudden they begin to, like, soften. And they begin, like, a crack in the, leaf, in the petals. And then they begin to unfurl. And it opens up to this unbelievable piece of art. This creation. This beautiful. I mean, there's these tiny little... Stamen, I think they're called, with little pistols. I got A's in biology all the way through high school. And there are these things that just like hang by a thread. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. But if you've ever bought these at the grocery store, that had nothing to do with my talk. But if you buy these at the grocery store, they smell like they stink to high heaven. You walk into my house right now, you open the door, and it's just like, well, bam! And you get this smell of stargazer lilies, almost to the point where we're like, seriously, we should probably put them out on the deck. But they just overtake the house. It's like the first thing you smell when you walk in the door. Paul uses this example, this metaphor, and he says, Church, you become the aroma, the scent, the smell of Christ, which is to say you become the aroma, the scent, the smell of life and of resurrection and of hope and of promise and of grace and of mercy and of love and of justice in the world. That's what you become when you say yes to Jesus and you participate in the church. You don't just get heaven when you die. You become this essence, this fragrance, this aroma in the world that just leaks into every crack of creation. This is a funnel. Not a lot of preachers are using these. Let me close with this. The other day, I have three kids, three girls. Hadley, Dahlia, Lyndon. Lyndon is the youngest. She uh, just turned two. She is just a kick in the pants. I mean, she is a blast, like jibber-jabber, right? We got in the car last night after I got home from the airport, and we took Stu home, and uh, nonstop, like from the back seat, la 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 talking about, you know, all kinds of stuff. So the other day, I'm, uh, I'm getting ready in the morning. I'm in the bathroom, and Lyndon walks in, and she's got her diaper around her ankles, and she's, like, waddling in with a funnel in her hand. And I'm like... Okay, 
Just go with it, right? So I just kind of let it play out. And I'm just sort of standing there watching her. And she gets up on the toilet. She's learning how to go on the potty. And, you know, she... She's, you know, yelling through the funnel. And then she gets done and refuses to pull her pants up. And her diaper is still hanging around her ankles. And then she walks out of the bathroom and into her sister's room, which is Dahlia. Dahlia's a sleeper. She just... She's our sleeper. So faintly, I, I begin to hear this noise in the other room. And it's like, <laughs> it tastes like gasoline. <laughs> Maybe don't eat it, Micah. <laughs> and it begins to get louder and louder and louder. Wake <laughs> up! And I come around the corner, she's half naked, standing like three feet from Dahlia saying, like as loud as she possibly can with everything she's got. And Dahlia is just zonked. I mean, she's le- she's, she looks like she's dead. And at this decibel level, you have to believe she might possibly be dead. Is that the church to the world? Screaming through a megaphone. Wake up. Wake up. Wake Is that the church to the world? The way in which we live our lives and do this thing called the church can be like a half-naked two-year-old screaming at the top of her lungs right in your ear. with no regard to you as a person, with no regard to what you might do when you wake up. (laughs) I mean, if that's you and someone's screaming at you, wake up. Even if they really think that the day is going to be wonderful and there's all kinds of possibility and potential. If they're standing there screaming at you with a megaphone in your ear when you wake up, your first response is probably going to be less than Christ-like. And I wonder how often the church sees us with a megaphone in our hands, screaming at the top of our lungs, wake up. Somebody has to be right. At the end of the day, truth is truth. And we may, in fact, be on the right track with this whole Jesus thing and the way in which we understand the story we find ourselves in. But there has to be a certain level of humility because at the point at which we ascertain truth to its fullest degree, do we not become God himself? Which therefore leaves the only other option of holding truth with an open hand and saying, I believe this to be true with everything I've got. But I will not be the person who stands next to a sleeping person screaming, wake up, wake up. This is the kind of church we want to be.
The one who, who rather nestles up next to people like a loving dad who's taking the kids fishing, who whispers in their ear, wake up, because we know what the day beholds, because we know that there is hope on the other side of this slumber. And Awaken desires to be the kind of church that does that. We do not want to be the ones with megaphones and whatever else screaming to the world, wake up. And so we're on a journey to figure out what that looks like in this community and for this group of people around us. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know where this sits with you. Maybe you are just checking out Jesus. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're not even sure if he's real or true. And that's fine. There is a seat at this table for you. Welcome. We're glad you're here. If you've said yes to Jesus, there are there are moments where we need to continually wake up and we want to be the kind of community where that's allowed, where we do that in love and grace and mercy. And together we want to be the kind of church that says to the world, wake up, wake up. There is a new day. It does not have to be this way. Things are not as they should be and there is someone who has changed everything. And if you want to be a part of this kind of community, we just invite you to be here to come, to invest, to get to know people, and to understand and learn what it means to be awakened in Jesus. Would you pray with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We'll close with a few songs. God, we long for um, a relationship with you that expresses itself in a way that is not someone screaming at a bedside with a megaphone Uh, We want to be the kinds of people in the world uh, who nestle up next to people and whisper in their ears, wake up, because there's something new, there's something possible. God, this is a big day, and we're so excited to be here. I'm grateful for everything that you've done thus far, for being uh, the foundation, the, the only thing at Awaken that matters. I pray, God, that by your spirit you would empower us because we can't do this on our own, but I pray that you would teach us what it means to be your church, that you would teach us what it means to be the people of God in the world who, when you return, are found faithful to what you've called us to be, which is salt and light, demonstrating and announcing the love of Jesus that we've experienced in Christ. That's what we want, God. Would you make it true of us, we pray in your name. As we sing these last couple songs, uh, The Bud Light buckets will be going around. And again, we'd love to know that you were here um, uh, so we can communicate with you. And uh, if you brought a tither offering this morning, you can place that in there.